0: So much for being here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Melissa. I serve here as the executive pastor, and I'm excited to have you here, Bill. Thank you for putting us all into a panic, just reminding us over and over that Christmas is a week away. So, um, <clears throat> but I I feel ready, kind of. Uh, but hopefully, you guys are feeling ready for Christmas and just ready to celebrate um, what God has done this year and, and what He continues to do. And we're in a series called Regifting. we we're um, just talking about being generous with what God has, has given us. And um, I love I working on this message because I love telling people, like, where uh, about stuff I've found. Um, we all do this, right? It's like, you know, so, oh, I like your shoes. You're like, oh, I got them here. Or, you know, or man, do you know a place to, good place to eat? I know our staff got sick of hearing me talk about um the Chez Dubba bubba Burger at Roosters in Decatur, because it is so good, but it's still the best burger. I will always recommend that, but, you know, we we tell people all the good stuff we find, right? We give recommendations. Now we have this whole, um, it's like almost like a job now of people who are influencers, so they just tell us things that they've, you know, gotten or whatever, and so we get excited and you know, when we find a deal or, you know, a little treasure, a little hole in the wall place, right? We get, to, we get to talk about it and can't wait to tell people about it. Um, and we'll tell people all the things, right? Like where we get our hair done or where we, you know, bank or our doctor. Or, you know, we, we always are willing to share the things that um, are good, that we find, that we treasure, that we enjoy, right? Um, and as we dive in this morning, I want us to kind of marinate on a question do we share what God has done, what Jesus has done in our life with as much energy and excitement as we, that we do with, like, you know, like when we find a good deal on shoes or a restaurant or, you know, something that we're excited about? Do we share with the same energy and excitement and ease what God has done in our life as we do about everything else? And so we're going to kind of marinate on that. Um, we're going to be in 1 Peter Chapter three, verses thirteen through seventeen. Uh, we always tell our students that if you have your Bible with you and you don't know where First Peter is, it's okay to use table of contents. Table of contents. That's right. So, um, or it'll be on the screen behind me, or on the U Version Bible app if you have that on your phone. So we'll be we'll be there today. Um, and I just want to pray for us. And I, I'm just really proud of our kids choir. Um, Miss Sayla, the little one over here that was helping Mr. Cameron play this morning. uh, She's like that all the time. So this is just, you just got a whole, yeah. They did great. I am disappointed no kid went diving off the stage or like picked noses or anything. So darn, but, so it makes it good. But they did great. Miss Steph and uh, Miss Emily do that for a living. They are both music teachers and they, so great to lend us their gifts to help us um, with those kiddos. Because when I did it, kids were diving off the stage and picking their nose for sure. So, They did a way better job, but uh, let's pray, and then we'll get started this morning. Uh, Father, I just thank you so much for um, to hear the voices of children singing your name, Lord, that um, as they do that, your your word, your promises are just planted into their hearts, Father, and they grow to um, know you and love you and serve you all of their days, Lord. Um, I just thank you for the people who just invest in them and continue to show up for them and, and help them um, be able to exclaim your name to the world, Lord. Um, I just pray for our time this morning that um, your word is challenging to us. It, it, it helps compel us to um, be people who share the goodness um, of your son. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are in First Peter. I want to give you a little bit of context, and then we're going to kind of dive in. Um, this letter that's being written was to the church that had been dispersed, and it's in modern day. He's re, uh, writing to a group in modern day Turkey, and this group is being um, horribly persecuted by the Roman uh, regime. Uh, for being Christians, and they were living in an environment that was incredibly hostile towards them. It wasn't an environment that was welcoming to this new uh, found religion. Um, it was one that they were watching brothers and sisters be tortured and crucified, murdered for believing in Christ. And so Peter is writing to encourage them. So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13-17, through 17. so join me there. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, for it is, if it should be God's will, than for doing evil. So as we're marinating on this question, do we give Jesus away like we do other things? Um, what are we giving? What's, what's the good stuff that we talk about here? And whenever we see a word that is repeated over and over in Scripture, we need to kind of focus in on it and look at it. Um, the, good, the word good has a number of different definitions, but I love the one that I found from, um, from the Greek, and it describes good. The word good is this. What originates from God and, and is empowered by him in their life through faith. That's what good is so if we are giving away what originates from God which is empowered by the Holy Spirit what does that actually look like what is the good that Jesus has given us and I and I think we need to look at that so we look at what we need to give away and how we need to do it so one is he gave us a new identity who I was is not who I am now I'm no longer defined by my past. 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Like, really think about that. That is incredible. Too many of us are carrying identities that are just riddled with shame and guilt, um, regret, regret. rejection, all of these things that, that, that hold us bondage. And those of us in Christ, we are no longer identified by those things. That life is no more. I am not that person anymore. And I heard this once, and it just seared into my heart. The enemy knows my name but calls me by my sin. But Jesus knows my sin and calls me by my name. My name is reclaimed by Jesus by the work, his work on the cross. See, shame wants us to believe we are only as good as our worst moment. That's what shame wants us to believe. And Jesus destroys that. He said, you are no longer defined by your lowest, darkest point. He buried that stuff with him, left it in the grave, and that changes everything. We get to walk through this world as new people, accepting our new identities no longer claiming or believing what has had a stranglehold on us and has lied to us, we walk in the world different. And see, not everybody will get it. Some people will say, well, you're still that girl or you're still that guy. But somebody will see it and they'll ask, okay, how'd this happen? Because I knew you then. Who are you now? And they ask, why? Why? And we get to tell them about this new identity given to us by Jesus. And we have a new purpose. With this new life, with this new identity, we have a new purpose. So many of us identify with what we do. So we identify ourselves with our job titles. I'm a doctor. I'm a teacher. I'm a builder. Whatever it is. We identify ourselves as that. But now, in this new identity, this new life, We get to use what we do as opportunities. See, I am a believer in Christ, restored and redeemed, and my opportunity through teaching, through building, through whatever you do, through being a student, whatever that is, is to share the hope of the gospel. So our ultimate purpose is not to set ourselves up to be the most powerful, the most influential, the most successful. It is to move the spotlight onto the one who defines us who gave us this new life, who gave us this new identity. Our purpose is to make the name of Jesus great, not our names. And so now we have this new identity, we have this new purpose, and we have a new perspective. We see things different. We have a kingdom perspective, an eternal perspective. We're not just in the temporary, we see past that. We have this eternal mindset that makes us recalibrate how we view the world, and how we interact with it. Now, that, this world, I don't have a better way. It, it feels confused and narrow and selfish and isolating at times. But as a believer in Christ, as someone who lives in Christ, like we get to experience the good stuff. We get to see ourselves and others in different ways. We get to move through the world and see opportunities different. Like we have a new mission, a new purpose in our lives. And thankfully, that does not depend on how awesome I am. It 100 depend, 100% depends on the one who is perfect, who is awesome, who is capable who is loving and merciful, and who carries true hope in the world. Luckily, I, I can't mess that up, even though I try really hard to. He's got it, and I get to just find opportunities to share that. So if this stuff is so good, this new identity, this new life, this new purpose, this new perspective, it's so good, then why are we so afraid to talk about it? Y'all, we talk about everything. Y'all, we put everything out in the world now. Some, some things. Highlight reel mostly. But you know, we do. We, we put things in the world. But we're so afraid to talk about our faith. And I think it's because we, f- we focus on the wrong what ifs. Like, what if they reject me? What if the conversation is awkward? What if I get hurt? What if I sound like an idiot? What if I don't have an answer to all the questions? What if I get embarrassed? What if I lose friends or relationships or get left out of groups? What if I mess up and look like a hypocrite? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? if? We have all the what ifs that we focus on when trying to talk ourselves out or giving ourselves an excuse to not share our faith. Look at verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not, be in, do not fear what they fear or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. Verse 17 says, For it is better to suffer doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. I wish I could tell you that in our relationship with Christ, as you step into a relationship with Christ, that suffering ends. It doesn't. I wish I could tell you different. But here is the thing. As a, someone who follows and believes in Christ, mine has an expiration date. My suffering will not last forever. That is my hope, is that, that one day this will end and, and God will redeem and restore the world that, so I can live without suffering. We have a promise that we have hope in. And stuff will be hard. And those what-ifs that we talked about, those are hard things. Those can produce suffering. They can produce isolation and fear for sure. I want to add a, a caveat. This is a letter written to people who were losing their lives because of faith, literally dying. People rejecting us is not death. It could be hard. There could be suffering it. But most of the time, what we experience is disagreement, contention, pushback, and we feel like we're being persecuted. I think one of the biggest hurdles that the American church is experiencing right now is that we are afraid of discomfort. We avoid it. We don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be in an uncomfortable situation. I don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation. I don't want to be uncomfortable. And when something gets uncomfortable, we cry persecution. If someone rejects us, we cry persecution. I don't want you to read this and say, well, if I stand for my faith and someone rejects it or pushes back or doesn't buy into it, then I'm being persecuted. No one's stopping us from meeting, from talking, from gathering. Okay, so I I don't want us to read that because I think sometimes we can read this and say, well, if they disagree with me, then I'm being persecuted. We're not under threat of death for being Christians. And, and we call stuff persecution when there are actually brothers and sisters around the world right now trying to do what we are doing under the threat of death, if not being killed, tortured, imprisoned. For gathering, for believing, for professing. And our what-ifs can be really scary and they can be really hard. But please don't read into more in our context than what it's being said here. This is written for us, but not to us. We do have to do hard things as believers. There are hard things that we do. As any teenager in here who is a professed believer of Christ, what it's like to be in high school right now? I have a kid in high school. I have a kid in middle school. I watch how it's hard for them to walk as believers in this world. But God's word is telling us, okay, listen, it's going to be hard. There's going to be suffering but we're focusing on the wrong what-ifs, and we need to focus on something different, a different what-if. Ask ourselves, what if my neighbor's marriage is restored? What if my friend is able to fight depression and anxiety because of hope that she's heard? What if my parents come to the Lord before they pass? What if my kid is able to embrace an identity that makes them feel whole again? What if my sister can move past addiction? What if my brother finds a reason to fight another day? Those are the what ifs. Our hesitation around giving Jesus away too many times places us at the center of the decision making. The spotlight on us becomes important because we want to avoid discomfort and suffering. So all of those what-ifs that we're afraid of, that talk us out and give us excuses to not share the gospel, to not share the hope, center around us. But when we change the what-ifs, we change who the spotlight goes to. It is better to suffer for doing good than doing evil. Y'all, we have the good stuff. We have the stuff that frees and heals and restores and redeems and changes eternity. If we withhold that, is that not evil? When we have something that could set someone free? Y'all, I'm not saying, please don't be the dude on the corner with the sign in the megaphone screaming at people. Okay, that's just weird. I mean, I don't, does it work? No, it doesn't. I'm not saying that. Don't, don't be that guy. There are people in your four walls, in your community, in your neighborhoods, at your work, at your schools that are desperate for hope. They are desperate for meaning and purpose and to be loved and seen and valued and known. Desperate for us to focus on the right what ifs. So how do we do this in like practical ways? How do we, how do we give Jesus away? How do we live in the right what-ifs? One, we have to walk the talk. Do we look different in this world? Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, that the fruit in our lives is evidence of our obedience to the Holy Spirit, to what God has called us to, working in us and working through us to the glory of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do people see evidence in your life that you are a follower of Christ? Not that you have the fish sticker on your car okay but actual evidence of living do they see it as you live all too often christians are called hypocrites y'all we are if you're not you are so like we are okay we are but here's the problem We are hypocrites. We are broken, we are sinners, we fall short every single day. The problem that people see with Christians is that we are unrepentant hypocrites. We do not repent and ask for forgiveness of being hypocritical. So we dig our heels in and be like, no, you're on the wrong side. I'm right. Instead of saying, you know what, I am broken. I could be wrong. I have to ask for forgiveness Publicly acknowledge that I have a God who is faithful to forgive me when we repent and ask for forgiveness. Walking the talk is not projecting perfection. It is living redeemed lives, humbly, asking for forgiveness, admitting when we are wrong, admitting when we are sinned. Because that's the Christian life. And we have to model that. One of the greatest gifts you can give your kids if you are a parent is to apologize and ask for forgiveness. Help them see the redeemed life. It is having a life that has evidence of surrender. Are we walking evidence of a new identity that we've been giving? A new purpose? A new perspective? I, we hear about people leaving the church and over church. Why? I think it's because so many professing people, people who profess to follow Jesus with their mouths, but their lives And their actions look completely counter to the life of Jesus. And people are saying, if that's church, if that's Christian, I'm out. We can talk all about Jesus' love and mercy and grace. But do we love people who are hard to love? Do we stay in relationships that are tough, that challenge us? I'm not saying bad boundaries and all those things. That's another talk. That people are hard to love, that maybe vote differently than we do, look differently than we do, speak differently, have different values. Do we love those people? And listen, I know people are crazy, okay? Like, I know, okay? And if you don't think they are, it's you. So, like, I don't know how to help you. (laughs) But there is nothing that tests the Jesus in me more than Christmas shopping, okay? Like, The lines and, like, the people, it's a lot. And I'm like, oh, do I love Jesus less much? Okay, so, like, but, listen, instead of losing it in line and being the one that's, you know, tapping the foot, like, how many coupons do you have? You know, instead of being that person, why don't we just talk to somebody? Why don't we entertain the toddler in front of us? Why don't we let the mom go in front of us? Why don't we talk to the the old person in the line that you know is lonely? What if we're just those people? We practice patience, We smile and thank the clerk that is working. We tip well on Sundays. What if we do things like that? Every aspect of our lives is an opportunity to show the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. Do people see evidence of your faith in Jesus in your life? Are you walking the talk? Do you live a compelling life? Okay. By compelling, I do not mean you have to have all the followers in a reality show. That's not what I'm talking about. But do you live a life that is attractional, that looks different? Something about your life looks different in the way that you move through the world. And people will go, why are you the way you are? But like in a good way. Like, why are you the way you are? And are you ready, and do you stay ready to share your story? It means we have, to, we have to be able to articulate what God has done in our life. Y'all, we have to be better at this. We have to be able to clearly communicate the gospel, the story of how Jesus changed your life. It doesn't have to be an awesome story. It doesn't have to have a great ending. It doesn't have to have any of that stuff. The ending's the same, okay? All our stories the same. All going, we love Jesus. We're going to heaven. I'll see you there, okay? It doesn't have to be crazy. It just has to be clear. And we have to be ready to do it. We have to be able to come to a place where we we can say, you know, I realize I could do nothing, but Jesus could do everything. And I surrendered to that, and I believe in that, and I live my life around that. Are you living a compelling life where people ask why? I'll never forget... um, Matt and I were early in our faith. Our friends are actually here. They probably don't even remember this. We had been in a very dark place in our marriage, but I thought we hit it well. Like, you know, we got the kids, the dogs, the house, like we were good, right? No one knew we were a hot mess behind the doors. And things had gotten really bad, and, um, but then God just intervened in this just like most crazy, miraculous way in our lives, and completely changed our lives, and and just got in there and just messed it all up. And we accepted that we needed a Savior, that Jesus died for us to restore us, and he began to heal Matt and I individually, and then coming together began to heal our marriage and set us on a different path. And it was slow, okay? There were a lot of bumps. took a long time, still working on it. Um, But we had begun to experience healing in our marriage, so we had some friends over at our house, and we we're having a barbecue or whatever. And our friend uh, Danny asked, "Why do y'all seem? What's up with y'all? Why do y'all seem different?" And um, I realized we didn't hide it <laughs> as well as I thought we would, because he wasn't asking us that when we were a hot mess. So something had changed, and it wasn't fancy um, or articulate, um, but over you know beer and potato salad. We got to share what God's been doing in our life. And we were ready to share it. I had a mentor who encouraged me, saw me as a young person, and face said, hey, be ready to tell your story because someone's going to want to hear it. So we did. Listen, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. This is where I was. This is how Jesus, Jesus messed up my life. And this is what's happening now. Over beer and potato salad. It's funny, we went to a small group. The next day we had just joined a small group. We went to a Baptist church. And we were like so excited. We're like, guys, we shared our story. We were just like having a beer. And like all, they like all freaked out. I was like, focus. That's not what we're talking about. We shared our story. You know? But it was awesome. It, it was like the first time that we, we had shared our story. And, and Jesus had changed our world so much that our lives begin to look different. We begin to move through the world differently, where they want, like, why do you look different? What is different? Because it wasn't us, because they, like I said, they never asked us what we were doing before. Why would they? We were broken, selfish, angry, bitter, divided, lost, nothing compelling to the world, just more of the same. But then Jesus intervened, and we got to share the good stuff. And it's scary to be vulnerable. It's hard to share that stuff. I mean, it is so worth it. Verses 15 and 16 say, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Our stories are powerful. But I want you to hear something. You'll hear defense and you'll think like, all right, I got to go. You got to be ready. Okay? God does not need an attorney. Okay? He's got it. Okay? Our job is to share the good stuff. We're not trying to defend it. I don't want you guys to hear that and think fight in terms of defense. Okay? We don't. He does not need an attorney. The posture in which we tell our stories is as important as the story. Humility and gentleness. And you know what, guys? Endurance. Sometimes it takes years and years and years and conversations and conversations and so much potato salad, you're going to hate it. To get people to hear. But it's gentleness and kindness and mercy that's evidence of our new life in Christ. To stay in those conversations. And making him the hero. God is the hero of our stories. Not us. That humility, that gentleness is what we're called to. Because when we could do nothing, Christ did everything. It's about a Savior who loves us so much that he laid his life down to ensure that we know how loved we are. And that there's a place for us at his table. And that love is what gives people hope. And your story is a gospel rewritten in your own vocabulary. In your own context, but it's still God's story. And I'll tell you this, somebody told me this once and it has always stuck with me that our story may be the only Bible or interaction with the gospel that people may have. The only one. So they may not ever come to this place, but they'll sit in your backyard. They'll sit next to you at the ball field. They'll help you fix, fix the fence, sit the cubicle over. They know you. They trust you. You have a relationship with them. You may be the only interaction that they have with the gospel. Are you ready to share your story? Don't be the guy in the corner screaming at people. It doesn't work. It's coffees and conversations and birthday parties and life living over and over and over. And then they ask, why do you love me? And you get to tell them about our Jesus. That's what it is. It's vital, vital for us to be able to tell our story. Y'all, because we got the good stuff, not the clearance bin coupon stuff. Like we get the like full, good stuff, full price stuff. Okay, like we have the good stuff to share with people. And once we get over ourselves, once we stop putting the spotlight on on us and what we want and our what ifs, we get to share, have the most beautiful opportunities to share the gospel. And this season, I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want us to miss the opportunity to invite people in. Because they're open to it. Because, you know, they'll show up on Christmas and Easter, right? They're open to it. That's great. But a lot of times it's the third or fourth ask that you've asked them into your life. You've already asked them over for dinner. You've already carpooled. You've already done these other things. One of my deepest prayers, the prayer I pray consistently about this place, is that we are a people that live lives so compelling that the community cannot look away. There's something different about the people of the table. There's something different because it's not just about inviting them and getting them into the church. Like, they're letting me into their homes. They're letting me hang with their kids. Like, I know their families. I see them on a daily basis. And there's something different about how they move in the world that is so compelling. They will ask you, why are you the way you are? And you get to tell them about your Jesus. And maybe one day they'll walk through the doors of this place. I hope they do. But y'all, as believers, as people who believe in Christ, like this is pregame here. This is not the main event. This is where we come in, we get rejuvenated, we get restored, and we get back out there. And we start to tell people about our Jesus. We have never been a place where it's about growing a church and like having the most people and having the flashiest program. That's not who we are. That's not our culture. That's just not who our staff is. Guys, we want to be compelling people So so compelling that the community cannot ignore what is happening in your life. So that they ask, why are you the way that you are? And that happens in your living room, in the coffee shop, at work, in the carpool line, at the ball field. So we have to be ready. We have to walk the talk. We have to live compelling lives. And we have to be ready to share our story at any time. We have the stuff that the world needs. We have the stuff your neighbors need, your kids need, your spouses need, our friends need, our families need. We have it, and we have to be ready to share it. The world is seeking and looking for hope. And God is so good to allow us to be a part of it. I'm telling you right now, there's nothing more beautiful in life than being vulnerable with another person to the point where they say, you know what, me too, and I'm going to follow you. You show me how to follow Jesus. And then you see people get baptized that you love and that you've prayed for. And you see their lives change, their families restored, their marriages restored. There's nothing better. And God's so good to give us an opportunity to share that and be a part of that. Nothing better than that. That is the good stuff. So I hope that we are a church and a people that live compelling lives. So compelling that people ask us why. And then we get to tell them about our Jesus. Pray with me.